Thanks, Dennis. Well, welcome, welcome. This is, uh, oh, thanks, appreciate that. This is one of those rooms that, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it always remains kind of dark in here. It doesn't matter if you turn the lights on, you turn the lights off, it just seems kind of dark. At least that is to me all the time. I look around here and kind of, yeah, like looking across to some bar or something. But anyway, interesting time. Well, I'll tell you what, we're, uh, we're continuing a series uh, that we started last week, uh, this week, and uh, the series is on resurrection life. And really what it is, it's about, uh, okay, since we've come to know Christ, for those who have, since you've come into a relationship with him, then what are some things that are supposed to be true about our life? What are some things we're supposed to do? So last week, just to give you a brief recap, uh, Jeremy uh, launched our series and he talked about, you know, as we enter into a relationship with Christ, there's some things that change in our lives. There's three things primarily. Our, our motivation change changes, our actions and our pursuits change, and our hope changes as well. And so uh, tonight, what we're going to see is all of those things kind of lived out in what we're talking about in this next part of the passage. So we'll, we'll begin there uh, tonight. Before we do, let's take a minute, let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump in. Father, we do pray. Um, I pray, Father, that, um, you know, when we look at um, places like this in your word, Sometimes, Father, it's easy to um, it's easy to rationalize. It's easy to kind of uh, think, um, well, that's hard, or, or gosh, that's that seems uh, that seems um, difficult, or whatever. But Father, help us to understand that every time you give a command, um, you give it for one of two reasons: you give it to either provide for us or to protect us. And uh, that's, that's why you give all of your commands. And so, Father, help us to, uh, help us to understand that. Help us to uh, uh, embrace the things you say, to really live that out in a way that, uh, that really honors you. And we pray those things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, looking at this, Paul, Paul starts off a passage, and we'll look at the passage in a minute. We won't look at it right now. But Paul starts off this passage, and he says, Therefore... And the reason he starts it off like that, anytime you see a therefore, you should see what it's there for. But he starts it off therefore, and what he's talking about is this. Paul has a construction in most of his letters. He writes them in such a way that he starts off with kind of like, this is the theology, and now this is what you're supposed to do as a result of it. Or he'll say like, this is true about God, or this is true about you, or this is true about life. Therefore, this is what you do to live this out. And that, that's just kind of a pattern he goes on over and over. His, his basic thought is this. Now that you are a man or woman in Christ, live like it. Don't, don't just talk about it. Actually begin to live like it. And don't, don't go around like, you know, Jeremy's talking last week about, you know, we have a different thought. Yeah, don't, but don't just go around thinking about heaven. Actually bring a flavor of heaven to wherever you are by the way you live. And so that's what we're going to talk about. So the topic tonight is this. Paul's going to begin to talk to us about kind of decluttering our hearts. That'd be an easy way to think about it, an easy way to look at it. Any of you ever looked around your apartment or your house that you live in and think, we need to get rid of some clutter here. Now, if any of you live a few streets over, um, you've had that thought. Or, you know, if you bumped your head on the dolphin walking out or something like that, you've probably had that thought. Yeah. You thought, we need to remove some clutter, you know, clutter, clutter, 
I'm not talking Miami either. No, no, these are just dolphins. Um, but, you know, if you've ever been around your place and you thought, well, we need to remove some clutter, now you kind of understand what I'm talking about. You see, what home improvement experts will tell you is this. When you begin to remove clutter from your home, it's therapeutic. In fact, uh, note, did you hear that? Therapeutic. Uh, it's not only therapeutic, but they said it gives you a boost of energy, which is a really good thing because what you see translated into this is this. If we're going to live this life that God's called us to, if we're going to really uh, embrace all the things that he has for us and live that out, we're going to need some extra energy to get that stuff done. And so one of the things you can do in order to do that is to begin to get the clutter out of your heart. Now, home experts, if you're decluttering your home, the experts would tell you this. The best way to do that is this. You go around one zone at a time or one room at a time, and each day you accomplish a little bit more. You get rid of a little bit of clutter here. You get rid of a little bit of clutter there. You get rid of a little bit more clutter. And before long, your whole home is straight up. That's the same way it is with your life. Little by little by little. Now, what experts there would tell you is this. You take your clutter. When you walk into a room, you basically allot it into three categories. This is like throw away, burn, or whatever. This right here is give away. This is hold on to. What Paul does, Paul does three categories as well. He says there are things you put to death. Then he says there's things that you put off which is kind of you get rid of. Then he says there's things you put on. Now, we only have time uh, tonight to look at the first two, plus that I didn't get to draw the good straw to where I got to talk about things you put on. So that's going to be next week, and you'll find out more about that next week. But tonight what we're going to do is begin to look at, okay, the first two categories, the things you put to death and the things you put off. And that's how we're going to start. So how do you begin the process? Well, here, here's the deal. As you begin this, what I'll tell you up front is this. A lot of these different things, as you look at them, you'll think, oh, I don't know I want to get rid of that clutter. Honestly, that's been something that's been part of my life for a long time. Or actually, you know, yeah, that's clutter, but it's clutter I enjoy. And I kind of like that. In fact, I, I, I want to hold on to that clutter. And what we need to understand is this. We will never experience life like God wants us to experience until we begin to get these things out of our life. So what are the things he talks about putting to death? If you have your Bibles and you want to look at it, you can do this, or it's going to be up on the screen. In Colossians 3, verses 5 through 11, Paul says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in, knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is neither Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now, one of the things you first notice, if you look at the first verses up there, one of the things you first notice is that like four out of five of these first things Paul says put to death all have to do with sex. And you're looking like, this, it's like sex, is that a bad thing? I mean, is that, you know, can we even talk about sex in here? Can we do it? Yeah, we can. It's not a bad thing. What you find is this, that actually, you know, if you think about it in your minds, it's like this whole 
big river flowing through life is like this river of sex that God talks about in the Bible. What you find is this. As long as it stays inside of the banks that's supposed to be in, which in God's view is, you know, within the context of marriage as he describes it, you know, as long as it's within the banks, it's not only good. I mean, it's like great. You know, everybody's like, yay, sex, that's good. That, that's wonderful. But if it begins by your choice to get out of those banks, oh, that can be problematic. In fact, that can be disastrous. And it says, you know, you don't want to let that happen. So what he says is, Paul says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Now, Paul's thought here when he says put these to death, what he's thinking is this. Jesus has already sentenced these things to death at the cross. Therefore, anytime you see them beginning to crop up in your life, just think of them accordingly. Just think those are to be put to death. Those have already been sentenced to death. Just put those to death. That's what's supposed to happen to us. Now, it's interesting to me, Paul uses four different terms here in speaking of different kinds of immorality, which is kind of interesting because other places in Scripture, Paul will be talking about the same thing, like if he's talking to the Ephesians or whether he's talking to like uh, the Corinthians at one point, and he'll say something like this, put to death sensuality and um, greed. He'll just use like two words there. Here, he takes the term and he actually spells it out and puts it like in four different terms. And you think, why does he do that? You know, I'm convinced that one of the reasons Paul does, Paul, Paul knows how we are. Not you or not me, but those people next to you. You know, you know, you know what I mean. They're the ones that rationalize things and say, well, you know, I mean, I think if Paul's saying, you know, like immorality, what he really means is this. He couldn't mean this. Why couldn't he mean that? Well, that's what I do. I mean, he couldn't mean that, <laughs> you know. Uh, but, I mean, I think actually he may mean that, that, but he couldn't mean that or that. And Paul, what he does is he leaves no doubt in our mind. He says, let me let you know everything I'm thinking about. And you're like, really? Yeah. I'm going to tell you all about it. So that's what he begins to do. He begins to lay all these things out. The very first one he says, you need to remove sexual immorality from you. Now, those people in that day when he said that, they knew exactly the words he used. They knew exactly what he was talking about. Because in that day, in that culture, it was very much like it is in our culture today. I mean, sexual immorality wasn't something that was just tolerated. It was celebrated. It was just like a normal way of life. That's just what people did. You know, they didn't think anything about it. If they would have had movies, it would have been in all their movies. Why? Because that's what they did. But Paul comes in. He says, no, 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 no. Now that you have become a follower of Jesus, you need to set a totally different pace. He said, this needs to be totally different. All forms of sexual immorality outside of marriage are to be done away with. So in, in this one phrase, he, he cuts off things, you know, he cuts off like adultery, he cuts off prostitution, he cuts off, you know, premarital sex, he cuts off homosexuality, he cuts off all these things. He says, all of these things are to be done away with. And his hearers in the first century, they knew exactly what he was saying when he says this. But then he goes on, he says, the next word he uses, he says, impurity. Now, this is a word, it's a bigger word, it's, it's, it's a wider scoped word than the first one. What it means, it means really uncleanness, but here it's a word, it's talking about imagination and speech. It's talking about the things that go on in your mind, the things that immediately precede sexual immorality. What you see is this, 
Immorality is the act, but this impurity is the thought that goes on right before the act. That's the difference in these. Then he uses another term. He says lust. Now, this word is even wider than the word impurity. It's a bigger word here. What it really means is dishonorable passions. Dishonorable passions. Often what you see lust is characterized here when, when he's using this word. It means to see people as objects for your pleasure rather than as people. You begin to objectify people. So he, as he's talking about this, you know, you see sex as something that is isolated apart from relationship and apart from commitment. It's just, you know, another thing. It's kind of like, well, I read the paper, uh, you know, I went to the store, I had sex. Uh, you know, it's just kind of like you just kind of throw that in. You know, it's like, no, no, no. This is very different. And what you see that he's talking about here, anything that stirs up these dishonorable passions in you, be those things like uh, literature, books, be those things like movies, be those websites. They didn't have websites back then. They have now. You know, any of those things you see that begin to stir up these dishonorable passions in you, what Paul is saying is this. That's overflowing the banks. That's out of bounds. That's not something that you're to be doing. And then he uses the word evil desires. Now, this is the widest word of them all. This is like it, it, the word itself actually means mental uncleanness. But what it is, the, 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 the meaning behind the word is this. You try to see how close to the edge you can get without falling in. You know, I mean, if you know here's the edge, you're like right there on it, just walking along. And what he says, you need to put these things to death. Put them to death. Then the next one he uses right there, he says greed. Now, this is interesting. He says greed, which is idolatry. And two questions immediately came to my mind. One of them was, greed which is idolatry why does he call greed idolatry what why is that well it's because of this anything that you set your affections on that begin to displace god as the central part of your life that's idolatry that's why he places it there that's why he caused that but the second question was i kind of thought how did that end up with this list i mean you know uh, avoid uh, sexual immorality avoid impurity uh, Avoid lust, avoid uh, evil thinking, and, and greed. And greed? How the heck did that get included? But when you look at it, greed is really the desire for something that another person possesses. Uh, greed is the core ingredient of lust and immorality. It's, it's a dissatisfaction with what God has given us. And instead, it, it's, this, it's this belief that some object, some experience, some possession is going to bring fullness to your life. In other words, something other than God. And so Paul says to these things, you know, he said, if you're a believer and you fall into these practices, what you need to realize is you're not living the life you're called to live. In fact, he says, if you, if you do this, you know, you are in a lifestyle that doesn't reflect your true identity at all. You are to put these to death because this isn't who you are anymore. You are someone different. Now, in our culture today, I'll just tell you straight up, in our culture today, you know, you begin to live these out, you're going to find the same thing the Colossians found. Is when you begin to live these out, when you begin to think about living these out, people will be kind of like, 
hmm, that's not normal. That's just not normal. I mean, people don't do that. You see, people do this. Let me, let me tell you what's normal, and they'll begin to tell you what's normal. The problem is this. For so long, the subnormal has been accepted as the normal that now when anyone acts normal, we think they're abnormal. But that's not the problem. The problem is, you know, we are to actually take these things and put them to death. So how do you do that? How do you actually put those things to death? I mean, do you like pull out a gun, you know, I'm looking for sexual immorality, you know, how do you, how do, you do that? No, you know, the way you get those out of your life is, is fairly simple. You starve them. You simply starve them. You want to get them out of your life? You starve them. Here's the thing you'll find, though. If you starve them in public and feed them in private, they thrive. They grow well. They do really well. What you have to decide is, you know what? I am just going to starve. In fact, to starve them, really, you, you allow them no space in your thought. You allow them no space in your life. One of the best ways to do that is to fill your life up with some other things that are really helpful and really profitable. And what you'll find is when you fill it up with those, you starve off the others. Why? Because there's just not any room for them. Too often what we do is we walk around like people like, oh, I just don't want that to be my life. I'm just not going to think about that ever, ever, ever. And instead of putting our minds on other things, which like we'll look at next week, instead of taking and putting our minds on right things, instead of actually filling ourselves up with things like that, we sit around, it's kind of like if I said right now, do not think of pink elephants. No. And just like none of you are doing that right now, none of you are thinking of pink, right? No, I mean, of course you are, because whenever you hear that, you think, oh, pink elephants, I hadn't thought of those. And you start thinking, well, see, it's like a, when you find out something you should do, fill your mind up, fill your heart up with the things that are right. It'll begin to really change things. So then... What Paul says when he says, put these things to death. Then in verse 6 and 7, he says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. So Paul says, if you're a person who refuses to deal with these actions and attitudes, one of the things you want to be aware of is this. God is going to take action. Now, I, I, I see believers all the time that will say something like this. Oh, well, he, he, he wouldn't do that with me. You see, I'm under grace. God, God's just, he, God is a God of grace. That's, what, that's how he is with me. And I think, yeah, uh, the Hebrew word for that is bull. You see, because uh, <laughs> what you'll find is this. You being under grace and God disciplining you have absolutely no contrast at all. In fact, as a good father, that's exactly what he will do. He will discipline you because what he wants you to understand is, you know what? As my child, you don't do things like that. As part of this family, you don't do things like that. And he wants to make sure we're crystal clear on that. And that's why he says here in verse 6, you know what? If you don't do this, be aware of this. Because of these things, the wrath of God will come. Actually, the word that's used there in the Greek is the wrath of God is going to come and it's going to keep on coming. It's going to keep on coming. It's going to keep on coming. Why? Because God is serious about this. But then in verse 7, he says this, you used to be controlled by these things. His thought is this, you know what, now you have freedom from these things. Now you stop because you can. You used to think, I need to stop, but you couldn't stop. 
Now, if you have come to Christ, you actually have the spirit of God living within you. You can stop. So therefore, stop. Put these things to death. Then he tells them there's also some things that you need to put off. Just as like you would get rid of clothes you've outworn or uh, clothes that just don't fit you anymore. He says there's some things that you need to put off. And so in verse 8, beginning there, he says, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in, the no in knowledge in the image of its creator. In other words, he's saying, you know what? That isn't who you are anymore. So don't act that way. He says, in fact, act like who you are. You are to be like God. You're to be like the one who created you. So Paul speaks about some words. He says, there's some words that are going on that need to change, and there's some attitudes behind those words that need to change. And so we'll look at, we'll look at the attitudes first, and we'll look at the words. The very first attitude he talks about, he says, anger. One of the things you're to put off. And when he's talking about putting off, you know, Really, if you stop and think about it in your mind, you get a mental picture. There's a real reason for this. Let's say Luke walks in right here, and Luke has just been over in the gym, which means, you know, all the bars have been used. Okay, so he's over there, and, I mean, he comes in, and he is wringing wet with sweat, and he finds out, oh, I'm supposed to go out. I'm supposed to be on a date here in just a little bit. So he says, no problem at all. So he just goes in, gets his new shirt, pulls it right on over his outfit, and, you know, starts to walk out the door. How do you think that date's going to go? Not good, I can tell you. <laughs> Clue in, not good. You know, they'll be kind of like, why don't you sit over there, Luke? And I'll, you know, I mean, why? Well, you know, you don't do that. You take the old off. You take the stuff off before you put the new on. And that's his thought right here. You know what? There's some things you need to get rid of. The very first one, he says, get rid of anger. Now, if you haven't met them, I have. There are some people that walk around just ticked. Some of them are ticked, and they don't even know why they're ticked anymore. They're just ticked. They've been ticked for so long, they don't even know why they're ticked. Okay, they just walk around just mad. Their basic thought is this. Somewhere along the way, God has ripped me off. In other words, he didn't do what I expected him to. Or if God hasn't ripped me off, someone else has. But either way, God or somebody else owes me. And so they walk around with this anger issue, like, you know, all the time. And it, it often comes out, it's kind of, there's this feeling of like hopelessness, or there's this feeling of helplessness. Here's the thought, though, you, that you need to understand. You will never live in the freedom God calls you to live in when you're walking around angry. You never will. You'll never experience it. So he says, put off anger. Put it off. The second one he says, put off, he says, put off rage. Now, rage is that thing that when anger comes overflowing, comes spewing out of your mouth, it always leaves casualties. That's the thing you're supposed to put off. Put off the rage. Malice is a really interesting word. Malice is just that silent, hidden hatred in someone's heart. Have you ever talked with someone with malice? I have. They sit there and they'll smile. They go, uh-huh. And inside they're like, oh, I hate you. 
Why? Because they've become convinced that it's okay. Me and God have this deal. I can be angry. I can even rage sometimes. But I can walk around with just this settled hatred. And, you know, he kind of excuses that with me because I had a real good reason because I got hurt. So it's okay. Not true. What God says is, you know what? Put it off. Put it off. And nowhere, I've looked in here, I've looked at every single, I mean, I, I went through this time, I mean, I did a word study on each one of these because I was looking, I kept looking for the word. When does he say tomorrow? He doesn't. When does he say whenever you find it convenient? He doesn't. He's very clear. Put it off. And the word is one in an imperative. It's put it off now. Now. Then he moves on. And he says, there are words that are brought on by these as well. Put off slander. The attacking of someone's character. Um, often it's being hurtful or you distort truth in other, to make someone else look bad. He says, put that off, put that off. Usually that's born out of these attitudes of anger and malice. He says, put that off. Then filthy language. You know, have you ever noticed you're driving down the road and all of a sudden someone pulls out in front of you and you begin to question whether his parents were married when they had him and, and all sorts of things like that. And, and, and you're thinking, where did that come from? Your heart, your heart. And you're like, Oh, that's not me. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's what you're supposed to be putting off, but that is you. That is you. You know, you want to be crystal on that. He begins to go on. He says, also, put off lying. That's, you know, that's the deliberate untruth or the deliberate half-truth, which, by the way, so you know, when you intentionally leave someone with a false impression, that's lying. That's lying. So if you make it sound like, well, you know, I was going to come to that class, but my car broke down. Oh. Well, the class is Tuesday. When did your car break down? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of Monday. Uh, you know, but you try to make it sound like, well, you know, is this going to happen? You know, no, that's called lying. Lying. Anytime you do those things, it's lying. What you'll find is this. What proceeds out of your mouth that, that, that's really who you are, and it's really where you happen to be at in your life. A lot of times what we do is we measure obedience in this area by not counting those conversations that we think don't count. Like if you ask someone, how are you doing in these areas? Oh, good. What we mean is, I don't think anyone has evidence that's contrary to this. Because I was very careful that while I was slandering and while I was raging and, and while I was having this language and while I was lying, I was very careful it was only with my roommates. So I think I'm pretty good. What God says is, you know what? No, no. You live your life to please an audience of one. And that one isn't your roommate. You live your life to please him as followers of him. And so consequently, Put these things off. 
And then lastly, Paul reminds them, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. What, one of the things Paul's trying to get across here is this. He's saying here, in other words, in this kingdom, there is no we and they, there, there is us. And all these things we're talking about are not just for a select group like, you know, they, being whoever you're not, you know, necessarily affiliated with, they need to, no, he says, everybody in the community are to put these things off. Everybody. Put these things off. Then he also reminds them, you don't get to make excuses or have different expectations because of class, background, or origin. See, these people that he mentions right here, many of them really looked disparagingly on the other. The Jews looked at the Gentiles, and they're kind of like, eh, you know, not, not cool. Then within Judaism, there were the circumcised and the uncircumcised. They're like, ah, oh, you know, you're, you're a lesser Jew. Then there were the barbarians, which these were the people who spoke differently. The Scythians, you know, slaves, frees, all these different ones. He says, no, no, no. You don't get to make any excuses about things. So you don't get to say something like, well, I'm angry, but it's okay because I'm Irish. See, Irish people are just angry. That's what happens. And so it's okay. It's understandable why I'm angry. I'm Irish. He goes, no, 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 no excuses. There's no excuses like that. Or you don't get to say, well, you know, um, that's how they are. They being, you know, a designation different from us. He says, no, no, no. There's no difference in expectations. It's not like they are this way and we are this way. He says, no, 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 no. There is neither barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. All are in Christ, and Christ is all. So, no, we don't get to be that way. So, what he's saying is we are all need to put things to death. We all have things we need to put off and put on. When God says there's things I want you to put to death, and when he says there's things I want you to put off, do you know what he's really challenging in our life? our self-righteousness. He's really challenging in our life that kind of righteousness we have that says, well, you know, um, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily agree with this. In fact, there's probably some of you, even, even as we've been talking tonight, think, well, that's nice, but I just don't happen to agree with that. Therefore, no. See, whenever you get serious about actually walking with Jesus, what you find is this, that as you look at this right here, God's really not interested in our forms of righteousness. In fact, the only thing that God accepts us for is the righteousness of Jesus. It has nothing to do with us. We can't come up with our little formula that, you know, I'm going to do this now. I mean, some of you know what I'm talking about. Like, you're like, well... I do kind of hold on to this little part of immorality over here, but it's okay because I memorize extra verses, and so that's okay. Or, you know, I did three Bible studies this week, and I went to church twice, so God kind of trades off, and he kind of says, okay, just maybe a little bit of impurity. That's fine. You know, let's toss that in. God's, God's very clear. He says, you know what? Put to death. Put off. Put on. Why? Because he loves us. 
So you start looking at some of those things, you think, so then do I need to do I need to do this so that God will love me? No. You don't. You think, then what motivation do I have for like putting things to death and putting off? What what motivation do I have to do that? Well, let me tell you a story. It's kind of like this. You know, let's say that you go to this person's house over here, okay? There's this guy's house, and we'll, we'll, we'll just call this Son A. Son A. Saturday morning, one of your least favorite times probably, you know, sometimes. You know, Saturday morning, early. Saturday morning, early. All of a sudden, Junior is in here with the covers over his head, trying to sleep. I mean, it's only like 7.30, you know? And his dad comes in, flips on the light, says, get up. Now, this house... It's not like it's like, you know, a house of horrors or anything. It's not like a bad house. It's just there's not a lot of love and encouragement in this house. It's just kind of, you know, a house that many of you may know about. It's just that kind of house. It's just kind of like a house you get by in. And dad walks in and he says, hey, get up. I'm getting ready to go play golf. And while I'm gone, I want the yard cut. And look. Don't screw it up this time. I don't want you running over plants. I don't want any divots out there. When I come back, this yard better look good. Now, I'm going to be back in a few hours. I'm going to be checking on this thing. It better look right. Get up now. And he leaves. And so, son gets up, begins to go mow the yard. Now, across the street... Same subdivision, right up the road. There's another house. We'll call him Son B. Son B, his dad walks in, same time in the morning, flips on the lights, and goes, wake up, wake up, wake up. Now, this is not your perfect house by any means. But you know what? This is a house that there's a lot of love that goes on in here. There's a lot of you know, a feeling of uh, acceptance, a feeling of belonging. And dad walks in and goes, wake up. And he goes, oh, Dad, get out of here. You know, come on, I'm trying to sleep. He goes, no, you cannot sleep. You cannot sleep. You know what this is? And he goes, no, what is this? He goes, Saturday morning. I'm trying to sleep. No, you cannot sleep. You know why? I am going to play golf. But you know what's going to happen while I'm gone? You, the master mower, are going to go out here, and you are going to be mowing the lawn. And you know what? When I get back, this yard is going to just be the best-looking yard on the block. Why? Because the master mower will have been at work. So I'm leaving. I'll see you in a few hours. I'll check in on you. And he takes off. Now, both sons get up. Both of them go out to the garage. Both of them start mowing. It's not like one of them's on a John Deere, and he's riding around, you know, son B, you know, and son, you know, son A's over there with clippers, you know, or something. You know, it's not like that at all, you know. Now, they both have the same kind of mowers. They both have the same kind of things. They're both out there mowing. But there's a total difference because son A, he's going along. And, I mean, every time the mower just dips a little bit, he just, oh, gosh. And he's over there checking. He's like, oh, boy, I sure hope I didn't mess up. I sure hope it's okay. Man, I hope it's enough. Boy, I, I hope he has a good round. I hope he has a good, I hope it doesn't mess up. Because, boy, I don't want to put up with that anymore. I, I, I just don't want to. I, I, hope, I hope it's good enough for him. 
hope it's good enough. I mean, he's just going along and, and just basically, you know, in fear the whole time he's doing it. Now, son B, on the other hand, son B's going along, lower dips a little bit. He goes, ha, ha, ha. He's just kind of laughing as he's going around. He's spinning around. He's coming back. You know, every once in a while he stops. He kind of looks across the grass. He sees a blade of grass. And he goes, oh, oh I got you. And uh, he's back over there. He mows that thing down. He's coming back around. I mean, he comes in. You know, I mean, he's excited. Son A goes in. He's sitting in the house. Every time a car goes by, he kind of gets a little tense. He kind of looks, you know, and he's kind of like, and he's looking out the door, you know, I wonder what this is going to be. I hope he's in a good mood. Oh, my gosh, you know. Not Son B. Son B is standing out there in the yard. His dad pulls in the subsection. He's going, <laughs> look there, you know. There, the master mower has been at work, you know. He begins to look. I mean, man, he is just out there, you know. He's having a big time. Now, I'll tell you this. If Chip and Joanne went into the neighborhood and began to look, Okay, house A is not going to be any different than house B. Okay, there's not going to be better homes and gardens, rates this one good and this one. No, no, they look basically the same. When you look at everything that went on at those houses that day, they look basically the same. But there was a world of difference, a world of difference. See, Son A was doing it so that he would measure up for his dad. Son B was doing it because he already did. There was no way that his dad was going to love him anymore for what he was doing. That was as much as he loved. But he knew how much his father loved him, and he wanted to do that to please him. Now, you look, do you do these things? so that God will love you? No. You do these things because he already has. The very thing we were singing about a minute ago with what Jesus has already done for you. And what you're telling yourself and what you're telling him when you don't do those things is, I really don't value that very much. And I really don't believe that. So you live your life in such a way to please him because of what he's already done, because of the acceptance he's already shown us. So next week, next week we're going to look at the good part. Next week we get to look at the part, okay, we've, we've put these things to death. We've put off these things. Now, what does God want us to put on to begin to live the life that he has for us? We'll look at that next week. Stephen will pick that up. Let me take a moment and pray for us, and we'll invite the band back up. Father, thanks that you make it very clear how you want us to live. You make it very clear how um, we can live in such a way where we can experience the very life, the very freedom, the very um, greatness that you want us to be able to enjoy because you've come to give us life and to give it abundantly. So help us not to uh, sidetrack that anyway by thinking we will just create a righteousness of our own, but help us to live life in such a way that uh, we really put to death the things that should never be a part of our life now. And we pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen.